I didn't praise the Lord, everybody. Seems like you're all wound up and ready here today. Praise God. Thank God. Everybody said, Praise the Lord. Good to be here this morning. I've been down here just kind of winding up slow. <laughs> Soaking it up. Hallelujah. I feel that God wants to talk to us today. Wasn't that good last night? I got to thinking a while ago to share this with an assistant general superintendent. Isn't that something? I talked to Brother Westberg way last fall, and I knew they were reaching to the high echelons of the United Pentecostal Church for their ninth speaker. Way, way up the ladder. <laughs> And I was profoundly gratified that I would be asked to come the third time in a row. And then I went to laughing. I was working my son's foreman and my boss, and I was as dirty if I had been chasing pigs in a pig pen. So I went to laughing. It seemed like they were going from one end of the ladder to the very bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's good to us, isn't he? Hallelujah. My, I'm glad I have him in my life. We don't just shout because of what we feel. We shout because of what we know. You could have asked Job how you're feeling. It, it just don't feel good to lose ten kids. It don't feel good to lose friends. It don't feel good to have a wife that won't sleep with you anymore. She give him the boot. He absolutely said he entreated her. For the children's sake of his own body. You stink up the house. You mess up the bed. You mess up the furniture. So he went out on an ash heap. He wasn't going by how it, he felt. How's the prognosis when it's not good? But he said, I know that after the skin worms have destroyed this body, 
In my flesh will I see God, whom my eyes will behold and not another, for I know. He wasn't going by how it looked. He wasn't going by how he felt. He was going by what he knew. There are more people backslide because of ignorance than any other reason. Now, if this thing's a little loud, somebody turn it down. But if you're all right, I'm all right. <laughs> if you like it, I like it. If it suits you, it suits me. If you can stand it, I can stand it. <laughs> Ignorance is ever a source of weakness, instability, and backsliding. That's why it's so important that you get teaching. Get a concept, get an insight, get an understanding. With all thy getting, get a husband, get a wife, get a job, get a family, get a home, get a car. But with everything you get, get wisdom. Hallelujah. My God. Hallelujah. I felt led of God to bring this lesson. And I don't want it to think that I'm pattern after Brother Williams, but I felt to bring a lesson on the devil. <laughs> I'm going to hold it to Friday. It'll be somewhat of a different approach. But it will be Bible. <laughs> Maybe Brother Williams will just give him a double round here. You take him on on Tuesday night and let me take him on on Friday morning. My God, we're liable to chase him out of here. I approach our lesson today with mixed emotions. And I mean by that, it's so big, I really don't know where to start. I'm jam-packing four lessons into one. If I dealt with the two signs in great length and detail, that's the lesson. If I dealt in great length and detail with the servants of the household, that's a lesson. If I dealt in great length and detail with the parable of the ten virgins, that's a lesson. 
If I dealt in great length and detail with the parable of the talents, that's a lesson. I don't want to get over your heads, and I sure don't want to get under your feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. But I want to deal today with the three parables that Jesus gave that deal with the all-important subject of being rapture-ready. Hallelujah. A parable is defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a spiritual interpretation. Earthly story with a spiritual application. The law of the language is the language used in teaching must be common both to teacher and pupil. And Jesus took the known to teach us the unknown. He took the natural to teach us the spiritual. He took that which we was familiar with that he might teach us that which we were not familiar with. A parable class has two effects. It hides and it reveals. It reveals, it conceals. It hides and it uncovers. It opens and it closes. They ask him one time, why teachest thou in parables? And Jesus said, because to you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not. And in teaching in parabolic truth, Jesus opened it to the saints, to the, those that were desiring to know truth, and he covered it to the minds and the eyes of those that didn't desire to know. Oh, aren't you glad he opened it to you? Hallelujah. Blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. I want you to know, church, today you got blessed ears if you hear. You got blessed eyes if you're seeing. Not everybody sees what you see. Not everybody hears what you hear. Not everybody knows what you know. Not everybody has what you have. But God has opened it to us. Some 39 parables and parabolic illustrations in the Bible. 17 of them explicitly mention the kingdom. And when it mentions the kingdom, it's dealing explicitly with church truth. We have seven prophetic parables in Matthew 13. A pre-written history of Christendom. Of what would happen what did happen 
and what has happened. They correspond to the seven ages of the church. You'll read about a woman putting three leaven in three measures of meal. You'll read about a mustard seed that become a great tree and the fowls of the air, the emissaries of the devil come and roost in the branches. It left that pristine purity. It evolved into a freakish system. Political, rich, affluent. A woman in symbolic terms represents a false religious system. And what the false church did was inserted leaven. The truth of God is God is Father in creation. God is Son in redemption. And He's Holy Ghost in salvation. She inserted her leaven and said God is one person. The Son is another person, and the Holy Ghost is another person. But it ain't that way. Jesus said, when you sing me, you sing the Father. I feel a preaching spirit here. Next time one of your Trinitarian friends say that oneness is like you and your wife, say this ain't that away. I'll tell you why it ain't that away. Someone knocks on my door and Sister Muncie answers the door and they say, Where's Brother Muncie? She can't say, When you see me, you see Brother Muncie. God wrapped in flesh. God manifest in flesh because he was the word made flesh. He could say when you sing me, you sing the Father. Hallelujah. I'm going to let you be seated. Oh, I'm, I feel something today. And it'll take us a while to get where I want to go. But I want you to go with me, and I want you to preach with me, and I want you to ride with me. And if I should cross your theology, I want you to hear me out before you turn me off. Woo, glory! Hallelujah. Some years ago, God gave me a revelation on Matthew 24. I call it that. Maybe that's not the proper word. Maybe it was an illumination. At least God opened it to me. 
It had been there all the time. I just had never saw it. I had never been able to put it together. I didn't know where, what went. I just couldn't put it together. And one day in my study, God some way touched my mind, my eyes. And all of a sudden, the pieces came together. So profound was it to me that I called my neighboring pastor, Brother Bowie, and I said, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. I guess he believed me. He invited Sister Munch and I over for a taco dinner that I could share with him. Some days later at a fellowship meeting in the church where Brother Cool, that's the district superintendent of Oregon now, pastored in Madeira, I was sitting by Brother Nate Wilson, and I told him. Next day, the phone rang, and he wanted to come down, and I said, we've got a speaker tonight, but come on, and I shared it with him. And I, this morning, I want to share some of it with you. And oh, I hope that God will make us to understand like we've never understood before. What is involved in being ready for the rapture? Praise God. Let's read in Matthew chapter 24 verse 1. And Jesus went out. and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily, truly, I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? What will be the parousia sign, the rapture sign? The sign of the coming of the Lord for the church? And the, the end of the world or the end of the age? I'd like for you to notice this morning, class, that Matthew picks up the discourse as they walk out of the temple. Luke records the discourse on the inside of the temple. Matthew picks it up as they walk outside the temple. Luke 21, you read about the discourse on the inside of the temple. 
You read about the little widow that came and brought the two mites, and Jesus said, did you see that, Peter? Did you see? No. They were probably wondering which one of them was going to be the greatest. <laughs> Who was going to be pastor in Jerusalem? Which one was going to sit on the right hand or on the left? They were just, just wasn't paying too much attention. Praise your brother, Munchie. And inside that temple, somebody calls his attention to the stone. Herod had been some 40 years in the reconstruction and rebuilding of that temple. And Jesus said, there will not be one stone left upon another. It's coming down. Your house is going to be left to you desolate. You're not going to see me anymore till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Zion's going to be plowed like a field. This is going to be a heap and a pile of rubbish. And so astounded were the disciples they called his attention to it as they walked out. But while yet in the temple, somebody said, When shall these things be? They wanted to know the sign of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus gave that one on the inside. When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, you know that the desolation and the destruction thereof is nigh. It happened in A.D. 70 under the armies of General Titus that later became a Roman emperor. Josephus tells us that General Titus did not intend for his men to destroy that magnificent structure of the temple. But you see, this morning, General Titus never had the last saying. General Titus never had the last word. For some 30-odd years before, prophecy had went out against that building. It's coming down. Not one stone will be left upon another. Stay with me, honey. And as they walk out, Matthew picks it up as they walk out. And they call his attention to it again. Look at this. And Jesus verifies it again. It's coming down. It's coming down. The sign of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, Jerusalem compassed about with armies. Now then, they come to him privately. They want to know two other things. Two other things. What shall be the sign of thy coming, and what shall be the sign of the end of the age? 
what future event, what phenomena, what prophetic occurrence, what happening, what will tell us that we will know the end of the age is near and that the parousia, the rapture, the coming again for the church is near. And beginning with verse 4 through Matthew 25 to verse 30, Jesus is answering two questions. Everybody said praise the Lord. He's answering two questions. Hallelujah. Praise God. Matthew 24 and 15 is the end of the age sign. Please, honey, stay with me. When you see the abomination that maketh desolate stand in the holy place, then let him that's in Topeka, Kansas, not Harley, honey, let him that's in Liberal, Kansas know, let him that's down in Council Grove know, let him that's in Jerusalem and Judea The end of the age sign takes place in the middle of Daniel's 70th week when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, goes and sets down on the temple, says, I'm God, you're going to worship me, sets up his image, or your head's coming off. Praise God. Stay with me now. Don't turn me off now. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to know we're getting ready to get out of here. This old ship was launched on her eternal voyage on the day of Pentecost in A.D. 33. But I want you to know we're getting ready for that home call and that last trumpet. In the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, you have a when and a then. When you find the word when and then in Scripture, you always have a time element. Then shall the kingdom be likened, then shall the kingdom be likened, then, then, then. You always have a time element. In the destruction of Jerusalem, a when and a then. The end of the age sign of when and then. They want to know something else. What is the rapture sign? What is the parousia sign? What is the prophetic occurrence? What will be the prophetic phenomena? What will be the great incident? What will be the great happening? What will take place that will tell us to begin to look up and lift up our head for your redemption for nigh. What is it that God, when you said you begin to see these things come to pass, look up, get your head up, start looking toward the eastern skies of glory, start making final preparation, and start trimming your lamps. Start getting right. Start getting ready. I'll get paid.
ready to get packed up or get ready to go up. Oh, hallelujah. Matthew 24 and 32 through 34, we have the, the fake tree sign. There are three parabolic mentionings of the fig tree. Jesus said these three years, everybody said three years. Say it again. Why did he say three years have I been coming to this fig tree and finding no fruit? The barren fig tree symbolized Israel as a barren nation without fruit. The fig tree is symbolic of the nation of Israel. Hallelujah. You and I can't get in the fig tree, but thank God we did get in the olive tree. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! <laughs> Praise God. Enjoying the root and the fatness thereof. When Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on, down from the slopes of Mount Olives on the little lowly donkey rides into Jerusalem, cleanses the temple the second time, goes outside the city, and what does he do? Curses. Curses. Curses the fig tree. A barren nation, a fruitless nation, destined to become a cursed nation. Hallelujah. Oh, what's the parousia sign? What's the rapture sign? What will be that future prophetic event? That will tell us to look heavenward and skyward when these things begin to come to pass. It's when that fig tree begins to shoot forth her branches and live again as a nation. In the destruction of Jerusalem, a when and a then. In the end of the age, a when and a then. But in the rapture, you've got a generation. Let me tell you this morning, saints, this is the rapture generation. Oh, hallelujah. The greater part of us are going to be alive. That's here this morning when Jesus comes for his church. I don't know how many ways you've heard Ezekiel's boneyard preached. Somebody wrote a song about the bones come together and got up and walked around. The hip bone connected to the high thigh bone and the thigh bone connected to something else. But I want you to know when God took Ezekiel and set him out in the middle of a valley full of dry bones, God was telling that prophet, 
This nation is dead. Its bones have bleached. And when he is saying, Son of man, will these bones live? He is saying, will this nation ever live? Will there ever be a resuscitation? Will she ever be resurrected? Will she ever live again? Oh, hallelujah. And God let the prophet know in the latter times, away down the road, the old bone was going to come together and she's going to live again. My God, brother, West Bergen, about a hundred preaching miles from them parables. But I got to lay a foundation here this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 1923, at the end of the First World's War, she was placed under British rule and domination, what they call the Bellflower Declaration. It would expire in 25 years, May the 13th, 1948. The Bellflower Declaration would expire. And with the help of the Rothschilds and some millionaire Jews, they made it a homeland for refugee Jews. They started going back. At midnight, May the 13th, 1948, those Jews went out and lowered the British flag. And they raised the Star of David. And it blew in the Galilean breeze. The next morning, President Truman sent congratulations to the newly formed State of Israel. 1967, she had her famed Six-Day War. We wondered why we couldn't get a one-eyed general to help us out in Vietnam. <laughs> we was bogged down over there, couldn't win it and couldn't lose it and couldn't get out of it. <laughs> Never heard of such a mess in all my life. <laughs> that kind of fighting. And here was a one-eyed general led that bunch of Jews, whipped the socks off of umpteen million Arabs, and rested on the seventh day. I want you to know today God's got his hand on that little nation. And he ain't through with her yet. Praise God. 1968, she celebrated her 20th anniversary. A Jewish boy could go to war at age of 20. A few weeks ago, she was 35 years of age. My dictionary tells me a generation is from 25 to 33 years. Jesus is saying it will be in the lifetime of that generation that saw her live again as a nation. And he said, when you see this, you know it's near. What's near? The rapture, the coming of the Lord. How close? Even at the very door. 
because we do not know the day nor the hour that Jesus will be coming, we're to be prayerful, we're to be spiritual, and we're to be faithful. We'll get to it in a little bit. Be therefore ready in such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh, watch and pray, lest coming suddenly find you sleeping. What I say unto one, I say unto all, watch. Watch and pray that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. We are over and over and over admonished to be ready, to be watching, to be praying. Be like men looking for the Lord, our lamps burning, our loins girded. Our God knows the fickleness of our nature. In Matthew 24, 43, we have the parabolic illustration of the goodman of the house. The goodman did not know that the thief was coming. If he had have known, he wouldn't have let himself got ripped off. He'd have got the sheriff's department, the police department that have staked the place out. They'd have nabbed that dude. They'd have been waiting on him. Hallelujah. You see, it's not the question that you and I don't know that Jesus is coming. He's coming. We just don't know the day and we don't know the hour. Therefore, it necessitates that you and I live close to God and obey the word of God and be ready when he comes. The three parables that Jesus gave us that deal with being rapture ready are part of the answer that he gave. What shall be the sign of that coming and the end of the age? These three parables are the servants of the household. Matthew 24, 45 through 51. Uh, the ten virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Now, notice in these parables, there is an absent Lord who comes at an unknown time. Over here, the Lord of that servant will come in a day that he is not looking for him in an hour that he's unaware. We'll cut him asunder, divide him a portion with the hypocrites. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Now, if you're one of those this morning that's got the theology that God's going to have some guests and some friends and uh, uh, that's going to some way get there without being in the church, uh, you better find that in the Bible before you start preaching it. <laughs> Woo! 
And if you're one of those that think you're going to miss the rapture and give your head over in the tribulation, uh, you better start reading your Bible. These parables do not hold out anything but a hell for those that miss the rapture. Let me tell you, church, this is your time, and this is your day, and this is your hour, and this is your opportunity, and this is your privilege. My God, you better get in now while you can get in. The ten virgins at midnight, the cry is made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And they all arise and trim their lamps, and suddenly some are keenly aware and conscious they never brought along the extra supply. The lamps burnt low. One translation, our lamps have gone out. Another one, are going out. And in here, by and by, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. In each of these three parables, there's an absent Lord that comes at an unknown time. These three parables teach us the threefold responsibility of what it takes to be rapture ready while you're yet sitting in the church. I want you to know Pentecostal saint, there's three ways you can lose out and miss it yet. There are two classes of people in each of these parables. We got an evil servant here that says, my Lord, the lady's coming. And then we got a faithful and wise servant. Here we got five wise virgins and we got five foolish virgins. Two classes of people. And over here we got a wicked and slowful servant and we got good and faithful servants. I wonder what kind we are today. Hallelujah. Praise God. We have two final results. The evil servant is bound and cast out and the faithful and wise servant is made ruler over his Lord's good. The ten foolish virgins are shut out and the wise ones go in. The wicked and slowful servant is bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness and the good and faithful servant is commended. Oh, hallelujah. Everybody said, praise the Lord. All right. The three ways in, you can hang around the church. Hang around the church. 
Just hang around the church and be lost when Jesus comes. In the servants of the household, you've got watching. In the ten virgins, you've got waiting. In the talents, you've got working. You gotta watch, you gotta wait, and you gotta work. Hallelujah. Here it's lack of love. Here it's lack of spirit. Here it's lack of service. Lovelessness, lifelessness, and laziness. Some people are going to be lost because they're just downright too lazy. I'm going to tell you right now, you'll never make heaven lazy. If you're lazy, a lazy preacher, you might as well hand in your car. If you're a sack hound, you can't get out of the bed, you can't get up. You can't get out. You can't get with a program. Uh, you're too slow. Uh, you're too lazy. Uh, you've got too much lethargy about you. You'll never make it. Here it's outward. Here it's inward. Here is Godward. You've got to be outright. You've got to be inright. And you've got to be upright. Or honey, you can't go. You've got to be right with others. You've got to be right with yourself. And you've got to be right with God. Or you can't make it. Somebody hand him a stick. Oh, hallelujah. My God, this is why we need some understanding of what this is really all about. Here it's toward others. Here it's toward yourself. Here it's toward God. This fellow here becomes a, he backslides becomes a troublemaker in the church and starts to hit his fellow servant. He can't get along with the other members of the household. Praise God. Brother Westberg, if I come over to stay with you and Sister Westberg, I'm going to have to get along with Sister Westberg. I'm going to have to get along with Margie. I'm going to have to be in harmony in the household, or I'm going to have to find me another boarding place. She won't let me insult her. She won't let me insult Marjorie. I can't criticize her household. I can't criticize her cooking. My 
say that. I wonder where did you get that idea? You can fuss and fight with a household and expect God to put up with you. God, somewhere does the cobwebs out of our mind. Uh, let's understand we're the body and we're the family and we're the people of God. You gotta love one another. Uh, you gotta appreciate one another. to live in Brother Westberg's house and not be on speaking terms with Sister Westberg. What you want, Brother? Coffee. Eggs over easy, quick. Hash browns. Strawberry jelly. Glass of milk.
king that you have purified your souls by the obeying of the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned, unfeigned love of the brethren. See, see, see to it that you love one another fervently with a pure heart. Get rid of that hogwash. Get rid of that sham. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation. Get rid of that hypocrisy. Let your law be pure. I'll let your law be fervent. I'll let your law be genuine. I'll let your law be the love of God. I shed abroad in your heart about the Holy Ghost. You gotta be outright. You gotta be right with other folks. Or you gotta treat other folks right. Or you ain't rapture ready. Or don't kick yourself. Oh, praise God. I feel this this morning, church. Let me tell you, preacher friend, you better watch about running your neighbor pastor down. You better watch about calling him a snake in the grass down the freeway. You may not understand him, but you better love him. If somebody don't like me, that's their problem. If I don't like them, it's my problem. If they do me wrong, it's their problem. If I do wrong, then it's my problem. I don't know, Brother Westbrook, where in the world we got this idea. If somebody wrongs us, we're justified in turning around and wronging them. Honey, that puts you on the same old level, the same old limb, of the same old place, of the same old carnal plane. You ain't no better than they are. You ain't got any more than they got. You're no more rapture ready than they are. with your brother. You're not right with God when you're wrong with the church. This parable teaches if you're going to go when the trumpet sounds, you got to be right with the brethren of the saints of the household or you ain't going. Oh, there's a close relationship between our relationship with God and our relationship one with another. 
Let me nail that down, honey. If we don't love our brother whom we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen? I probably give this somewhere before. Praise God, but I never cease to marvel at the way the Word of God is penned and put together. I don't do a whole lot of text preaching. Hallelujah. I preached two sermons in Colorado Springs, and I told them, I said, you won't, I don't know what to call it, and when I get through, you won't know what to call it. I come back that night, I said, I don't know what to call it, and when I get through, you won't know what to call it. I just don't take that text and give it some kind of a high-powered name. But in Matthew, he's king. In Mark, he's servant. In Luke, he's man. In John, he's God. In the Old Testament, he's coming. In the Gospels, he's here. In the Acts, he's living. In the Epistles, he's coming again. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Abel, the lamb is typified. In Abraham, the lamb is prophesied. In the Exodus, the lamb is slain and blood applied. In Isaiah, the lamb's personified. At Calvary, the lamb is crucified. In the Revelation, he's magnified and glorified. Oh, I'm feeling my Holy Ghost today. Hallelujah. Oh, let God dust your mind. Oh, let God dust your mind. Oh, let God dust your mind. Get the cobwebs out of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord. In Abraham we learn the family, the nation to which he would come to. From Jacob we learn the tribe. From David we learn the family. From Daniel we learn the time. From Micah we learn the place. Woo! All right, Matthew, he's king. Mark, he's servant. Luke, he's man. In John, he's God. The royal bloodline is traced back in Matthew all the way to Abraham, that he was the promised king. 
In Mark, his servant on old genealogy is given. In Luke, his humanity is stressed. And so it's traced all the way back to Adam, who was the son of God. But in John, he antedates all time, all proper, all histories, all processes, all things in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He was the eternal God from eternity. He was the God that hung the world out over the empty place and hung it on nothing. He was the God that made the stars of the moon. read the prophecy that the woman's seat would bruise the serpent's head. Hallelujah. Here he steps in to the back door of his own creation. John does a little different. John chooses a selection of signs. We're talking about signs this morning. Many other signs, many other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe. That you might believe. That you might believe. That you might believe. And that believing you might have life through his name. So he chose a selection of eight signs. With the turning of the water into wine the raising of Lazarus, and then the post-resurrection miracle, the miraculous draught of fishes, making it eight. The word eight comes from the Hebrew word shamani, which means more than enough. <laughs> we could write a lot more, but this is more than enough. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then he writes his epistle. The gospel was that you may believe the epistle that you may know, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. You can tell I didn't get much education. When I turned my paper in, if I'd copied off of Pete or Max or Ronald or somebody, why uh, the teacher had a way when she'd send me the blackboard and say, LJ, prove it. And then she knew I'd copied. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, God has a way that you can double check. Let me tell you, after you've shouted and danced and run around here and kicked up your heels, and you look around and there's somebody you don't love, somebody you can't be charitable to, somebody you can't be sweet to, somebody you can't be kind to, somebody you don't want to shake hands with. Side door and avoid them. We know we pass some death on the line because we run the aisles, not necessarily. We know we pass some death on the line because we dance in the spirit. No, no. We know we'll pass some death under life because we love the brethren.
so after I've preached, I've had my good time. And I can look around and I love everybody. <laughs> Hereby I know that I've still got it. Still real, still living. Let me tell you, preacher friend, bitterness will destroy you. Saint of God, bitterness will destroy you. Oh, we hear a lot about the trying of our faith, but you're not only going to have your faith tried, you're going to have your love tried. I may cross your theology, but standards is not going to be the issue of these last days. Love is going to be the issue of these last days. Because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. Did not Jesus say when you come to the altar and you bring your shout, you come to run the aisles, you come to dance in the spirits, you come just to, you brought whatever kind of a spiritual sacrifice. And then you come to the altar and there you remember. Uh-oh. Your brother has got alt. Now, you'll hear that quoted often wrong. It's if your brother hath aught against you. That means if you have given him the occasion. And there's three common ways. Angry without a cause. Reka and thou fool. One, you're in danger of the council. One, you're in danger of the judgment. The other one, you're in danger of hell's fire. But in all three of them, you are in danger. God is more concerned about you and I being right one with another far more than how we shout. God's far more concerned about us getting along one another, loving one another, appreciating one another, being kind and affectionate and tender-hearted and forgiving one another. God's far more concerned about that than about how we shout. And so when you come and you remember You've had a fuss out there. You had it out out there. You got nasty on the conference floor. You showed out in the boardroom. You showed out in the minister's meeting. 
You got mad at the preacher. Stormed out, mad, grabbed up the youngins. Didn't even want to shake hands with him or his wife. Mad when there ain't no sense in acting that way. No justification in it whatsoever. I'll tell you what, it will start you cooling off on the inside. It will give way for the devil to get rocks in your crawl and pus in your spirit and bitterness in your heart and start you into a cold backslid condition in your own heart. You better watch going downtown insulting waitresses. You better watch that pillow fighting in a motel room. You better watch that showing out. Somebody's going to be in Topeka after we leave. We were having a camp meeting in Santa Maria, California one year, and Brother Price got up that night, and he gave us a good going over about being nasty to waitresses. Sometimes they're kind of slow. See, when we, they say that Pentecostal is the, the praying his folks, the shouting his folks, the singing his folks, and the eating his folks. Somebody said since they come to God, they've never been happier or heavier. So Brother Price warned us to behave coming in there at one or two or three o'clock in the morning and, and uh, waking everybody up in the motel and pillow fighting and being insulting and maybe there, one or two of the girls has just gone off and here's one and one cook and about 40 folks come in there just starved after a Pentecostal meeting. <laughs> Next day, Brother Underwood and Sister Underwood and I went to eat and I ordered fried chicken. I started to bite it and it was rotten and it stunk and I was afraid to eat it, but I remember what Brother Price, I wasn't gonna make no scene, wasn't gonna be nasty, insulting at all. I just would eat the mashed potatoes and the gravy and the green beans and the roll and the butter and drink the tea and just pay and quietly forget it. So after a while, the waitress came by, and, and I just wanted to pass it off, but she was insistent. She said something wrong, and so finally we said, well, the chicken's not good, and so she just took it and didn't charge me. But you see, a lot of folks want to be nasty. Some folks want to be, just make a scene. 
with a brother without a call saying Rekha insulting. You better learn how to talk to folks. And then thou fool, you low down scoundrel, you better, that's evil speaking. It all comes in, see, you got to be right with other folks. It's being here, it's having here, it's doing here. You got to be something, you got to have something, you got to be doing something. You gotta have love in your heart, you gotta have fire in your soul, you gotta have faithfulness in your life, or you can't go. Love in your heart, fire in your soul, and faithfulness in your life. Church tractor, you can't make it. Hallelujah. I said a while ago that bitterness will destroy you. Bitterness is the way the devil has of finishing you off. He'll come along when you're hurt. You're wounded. You've been abused. You've been mistreated. You've been taken advantage of. Someone's hurt you, wrongs you. And the devil comes along to take advantage of the occasion and mold you in a cast of bitterness. It's his way of writing you off. It's his way of doing you in. It's his way of finishing you off. It's his way of putting you out of commission for God. It's like a doctor would take that broken limb and put it in a cast to hold it there until it mends, but the devil will mold you in a cast of bitterness. You'll come to church and you'll get down to pray and I hate her guts. Hate him. Can't stand him. Told lies on me. Run my kids down. Took advantage of me. Bitterness will spring up and bitterness will trouble you. Lest there be a root of bitterness springing up, that thing will wind its roots around your heart, around your mind, around your spirit, around your attitude, to where you can't speak without being cynical. You can't speak without being critical. 
You can't speak without using sarcasm. You can't talk without being snotty. Yeah, but if you knew him like I know him, if you knew her like I know her, if you knew what I knew, oh, that thing is rooting around your heart and your mind and your spirit to where you can't even talk charitable. You can't even talk kind. Or you can't even talk saintly. Or you can't even talk like God wants you to talk. And then thereby many be defiled. It'll get in the wife. It'll get in the kids. It'll get in the uncles. It'll get in the aunts. It'll get in the nephews. It'll get in the nieces. It'll get in the brothers. And first thing you know, you got a split church. Oh, but devil, you're not going to pull that stuff on me. I probably told you this one a year or two ago, but some years ago I was presbyter. Some brother kind of got it in for me and got to taking pot shots at me. And he'd get up at a fellowship meeting and he would pot shot. And I knew what he was doing and I knew what the score was and sometimes the best response is just simply no response so I just turned the next speaker loose or introduced someone to come and sing and I made make no remarks one day somebody come to me and said brother Muncie what about this and I said well if brother so and so becomes an enemy to me I'm going to do just exactly what that book said, and that book said loving. You see, this morning, we are the people that believe you've got to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, that don't begin and end with Acts 2.38. Part of living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is loving your enemies. Being good to them that despitefully use you and praying for them that persecute you. Now you can't love an enemy till you have one to love. And just so you can live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, God let the devil stir up somebody to hate your guts. Tell big old lies on you and run you and your kids down. I just so you can love him. I so you can live the every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And it's the devil's delight to get you all bitter because that's right where you stop. We got one over here. We got 50% here.
Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Then, that time element. I wonder this morning, is Jesus telling us that 50% of the professing apostolic church will not be rapture ready when Jesus comes? Now, he calls this fellow here evil. He calls the fellow over here wicked and slowful. He calls these folks foolish. I don't know of anything more foolish than to hang around an apostolic church and an apostolic atmosphere in a Holy Ghost climate was singing and shouting and dancing and running the aisles and preaching and praying and youth camps and camp meetings and, and conferences and fellowship meetings and everything that we've got and not have oil. Hallelujah. From this group would come the finest and the best among us. It would come Sunday school teachers. It would come bus ministry workers. It would come maybe board members. Uh, it would come the faithful folks of the church, tithe payers, offering givers, uh, uh, she's for Christ supporters, uh, missionary supporters. Uh, it would be the finest and the best. They were all virgins. They all laid in similar postures. They all professed to be going out to meet the bridegroom. They all slumbered. They all slept. They all arose. They all trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said, there was no distinction in them until the final cry. The foolish mingle with the wise, went out with the wise, laid in similar postures with the wise, looked like the wise, acted like the wise, a professed, a professed to be doing the same thing as the wise. The difference, the distinction was not known until the final cry. How long's it been since you had a burden? How long's it been since you really prayed through? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How long's it been since you really touched God and the fountain of your soul opened up? Are you overcoming? Hallelujah. Dear God, if you're here this morning, why don't you just hold your cup up? and say, here I am, Lord. 
I lift up my cup, God. I want you to fill it up, Lord. I'm not going to hang around an apostolic church and not stay full of oil. There's too much around. <laughs> There's too much available. Praise God. I'm going to have my own. I'm not going to live off of somebody else's slosh over. I hope you'll come back Friday morning because I'm afraid what we're having in these last days is a lot of folks is living off of the spillover of somebody else's life and it's really not their own. And when they get back to the real world where it's eyeball to eyeball and gut to gut and hand to hand, they don't have what it takes to stand. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I can't. I want my own salvation. I want my own convictions. I want my own ministry. I want my own victory. Hallelujah. I'm not going to live over on somebody else's slash over and slosh over. Brother Elder, what were they trying to do? They were trying to borrow somebody else's. Trying to borrow somebody else's. Trying to borrow somebody else's. Give me a spillover. Give me a slurs. Give me a quick charge. Let me borrow your battery cable. Give me a jump over. I don't want nobody priming my well. I want my own will. When you get back Monday to your own world, we'll see whether your battery will crank or not. Oh, whether you got your own or not. Or whether you're off just to spill over. You're getting from somebody else's life. I can't wait till I get to camp meeting. I'm going to run the aisles. What's keeping you from running the home, honey? I'll be glad when I get to camp meeting so I can pray through. Why ain't you praying through at home? I can't wait till I get to camp meeting so I can get something. How come you ain't getting nothing at home? I can't wait till I get to camp meeting to get fired up. Why can't you get fired up at home? Here they are saying 
give us of your oil. They're wanting to kind of live off the splash over of somebody else's life and not have their own. That's what we're witnessing in a lot of camp meetings. Great camp meeting, preaching, choir, singing, shouting, dancing. But when you get back to your lonely little world, you get back to the hard-nosed boss. You get back to the Jezebel in the classroom. Or you get back to the little handful of saints. Or you get back to where you're the lone uh, individual conquer in the church. Uh, you're going to find out whether you just got your own or a spillover from somebody else's life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Foolish. Nobody's keeping you from a life of dedication. Nobody's keeping you from a life of, of consecration. And nobody's keeping you from devotion. And nobody's keeping you from climbing to high places. Nobody's keeping you from an altar. And nobody's keeping you from holding us. Day you gotta have your own salvation. You can't borrow it, you can't buy it, and you can't bum it. Hallelujah. Praise God. I've had things preached on me, I've had things preached off of me. I've had things preached in me. I've had things preached out of me. But I'm glad that God has given me some scruples and convictions of my own. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody said, praise the Lord. My Holy Ghost took me from ball games. It just never let me go back. Oh, hallelujah. We hear about these folks. It's not my conviction. Honey, if you ain't got any, for God's sake, get some. I pray through to God some way moves in your mind and moves in your heart and the will of the Holy Ghost moves on the inside of you until where God gives you some feelings about some things. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. I want you to know when you get your own, you won't be riding on the crest of somebody else's wave of glory and somebody else's wave of victory. You'll have your own. It'll take you through the storm and the trial and the test and the burden and the hard place.
today give us of your oil get us going I've had a fellowship meeting I don't know why they did it I guess maybe they felt or could I don't know dry as a shucking summer the press will say brother Munchie come on get us going Get us going. <laughs> Put me up to preach maybe the first one. To, uh, brother, why don't you get it going? The songs, they couldn't get it off the floor. They couldn't get the songs going. Uh, they couldn't get the service going. And, and so, Brother Munchie, we're going to put you up. You get us going. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. If I'm preaching to someone this morning that someone's got to call you every morning to wake you up and get you out of bed to get you going, you are destined for failure. Sooner or later, you'll lose a job. You'll not be able to keep a job. You're too lazy. You're too slow. You're too dumb and you're too ignorant. If you have no sense of responsibility and obligation about you to get out of bed, get to work, make a living for your wife and family, you're destined to fail. If somebody's got to remind you to come early to pray, if somebody's got to remind you not to be late for Sunday school, if somebody's got to remind you for Bible study, I'm afraid, honey, you're building on sand. Oh, God, give us something down on the inside. Oh, that's moving. That's motivating. Oh, that's living. That's vibrant. Oh, that's viable. That we're not bumming all off of somebody else. We got our own. Going my way, buddy, hitchhiking. Going my way, buddy. Give me some of your oil. Get me going. Charge my battery. Bring your jumper cables over. Give me a quick shot. You'll never make it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He never said, remember Sodom. He never said, remember Gomorrah. He never said, remember the perverts. Oh, no. He said, remember Lot's wife. She was not a sodomite. She was not a pervert. But she was just as lost as any sodomite. And just as lost as any pervert. She was lost in the process of being saved. She was lost after all the saving efforts of God and of angels to save her and help her. 
Am I preaching to somebody that's come to camp meeting and, and youth camp and after all the efforts of God to some way reach you or to dust the cobwebs out of your mind and get something on the inside of you or one day you'll sink into hell and we're down with the doomed and the damned and the lost. I was too slow. They tried to tell me. They tried to help me. Oh, they tried to lead me. I got out of the world, but I didn't get the world out of me. I got out of Sodom, but I didn't get Sodom out of me. riding on the crest of somebody else's victory, somebody else's shout. But not really getting your own. But oh, church, you got to have it for yourself. You've got to have it for yourself. Did you ever notice it was while they went to buy? While they went to buy. It was maybe while they made up their mind to pay the price. While they made up their mind to get in. While they made up their mind to get their own oil, their own experience, their own joy, their own power, their own anointing, their own touch, their own con convictions. The bridegroom king. And they that were ready went in. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, you've got to have it in you. Hallelujah. Had a fellow that backslid not so long ago in Red Bluff Church, and he used to come kind of like this. He'd plop down, well, how are you, Brother Roy? Well, I'm here. And finally he backslid and got him a television. Just, just I'm here. I want to tell you that's a sorry way to come to church. That's a sorry way to come to church. Let me tell you, God is far more sensitive than any of us could ever think about being. You let somebody come to my house and just ignore me, ignore Sister Muncie, sit on the couch, get him a Newsweek or a newspaper and just ignore 
come to the dinner table and just sit down and just ignore. They just ain't going to be invited back. It will not matter to that bench what kind of an attitude you have, but it will matter to God. It will not matter to this pulpit what kind of a spirit you have, but it will matter to God. Don't you come before God in a sorry mood. Don't you come before God in a sorry attitude. Enter into his court with praise, into his presence with thanksgiving. I come before him a singing. I'll be thankful and bless his name. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord. If we annoy people by our attitudes, how much more would we annoy God by ours? Don't care whether I speak to him or not. Better not ask me to testify. I'll get up and go home. <laughs> we can't even stand that kind of attitude in our house. In some way, we just expect God to put up with it. we come to his house. <laughs> I take issue with this fellow that said, you're hard. You're austere. Why, you reap her. Now you haven't even strolled. Uh, nobody could please you. It's just too hard to live for God. Where did you get that at? Uh, that at? If you want to find out about living for God, don't go, don't go talk to some old reprobate. If you want to go talk to somebody about what it is to be saved in the church, don't go talk to some old miserable backslider and some old government uh, and uh, pastor fighter and some old tithe fighter out there. Uh, don't go talk to them kind of folks. They can't tell you. If you can receive this, come and talk to me. Talk to Brother Westberg about it. Talk to Brother Williams. Uh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, try Jesus. He's all right. You couldn't hire me to rob God. 
It's been one of the richest experiences of my whole life to be a tither. Now, don't get quiet, honey. If you don't pay tithes, you won't make it. You might as well so come up and reckon with your little mind right now. Hell's your home until you get reconciled. Preacher friend that don't cooperate with the financial plan of the district, you're building on sand. Preach God. Everybody said, Preacher Brother Muncie. I want to tell you, Preacher, God doesn't have one standard for the saints and another one for us. If we expect the saints to obey us, we ought to obey them that have the rule over us. A renegade preacher is just as lost as a renegade saint. An insubordinate minister, uh, it disqualifies and disgraces himself from the office. Don't you come up with that junk. Nobody tells me what to do. I've heard that over the years. Nobody tells me what to do. I'll tell you right now that is very silly, very foolish, and very ignorant, and you can't live by that maxim. What they're saying is there ain't no preacher going to tell me what to do. But the next time you go down and apply for a job and you fill out the application, don't write across the bottom, nobody tells me what to do. When the personnel manager takes you in the back of the plant and says, this is Bill, he's your supervisor, he'll be telling you what to do. Don't say, get this straight right now, Bill. Nobody tells me what to do. You can't live in this world by that maxim. You'll lose your job, you'll lose your home, or your marriage will go to pot. Where in the world did you get the idea you can live for God? Buy it in here. You can't make it out there, and you can't make it in here. You'll lose your job out there. You'll lose your soul in here. They'll send you down the road out there. God will send you down the road to hell in here. You can't live by that. Oh, let God dust that out of your mind. That's ignorant thinking. Oh, that's silly thinking. Oh, that's shallow thinking. Nobody tells me what to do. No way in the world can you make it through this world like that. 
and no way will you ever make it to heaven like that. Let me plow that under. Oh, it's just so hard to live for God. We hear people, I've heard moms and dads, you can't put old heads on little kids. You can't make adults out of children. You can't put old heads on children. You want me to work on that, do you? Hold your seat, honey. Buckle your seatbelt. I'm going to ask you where in the world did God save for you too? Where did God tell you in his Bible to put old heads on children? Go read your book again. I'll tell you what the problem is. They haven't done what God said to do and they're trying to hide behind what God never said to do. God never said put old heads on them, but God said you'll tell him there's one God when you sit in the house. When he sits at the table, there's one God. I put it on the front and before his eyes. When he walks out the door, there's one God. When he gets to the gate post, there's one God. When he walks down the road, there's one God. When he comes in, there's one God. Why are there so many lost Pentecostal children? They've had warmed over preacher and warmed up church and run down this. They've heard everything but what God said to let them hear. Let them hear there's one God. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's a glorious God. He's a wonderful God. Let them hear how good the pastor is. How wonderful the saints are. How good the church is. Let them hear something besides negativism and fault finding and picking and criticizing and running one another down. Oh, hallelujah. I've heard that I can't sing. Where did, where did you ever read where God said you had to sing like somebody? I can't testify like somebody. Where did you ever read that God said you had to? I can't play like Sister Dudley and sing like Sister Dudley. Where did you ever read God said you had to?
I'm going to tell you this because you can't sing and because you can't preach and because you can't testify like somebody else does not justify you to do nothing. Hallelujah. We are not equal in talent, but we are equal in effort. My God, if you've got that one talent, get out. Do something with it. I get Start investing. Start working. Start doing something. I get some interest to do something. I just don't go bear it and don't go hide it. This parable teaches you either use or lose. It's either use or lose. It's either use or lose. I was preaching a three-night rally in Sacramento years ago and somebody sent up a request for Brother Munson to sing. Master ceremonies looked over and said, have we been missing something? I assured them that they hadn't missed anything. Now I'll tell you this right now, if I could play a guitar, I'd have one of them things. And I wouldn't leave it in the car when I come to church. I saw Brother Beckton, his tremendous ability on, I think he's an uncle to our district secretary. It seemed like to me he used to be a, did he used to play for a quartet or a concert or something? Anyway, I know one thing, that guy can play the accordion, that guy can play the piano. I wish I could, but you know, I'm never gonna have to answer to God why I couldn't play the piano. I'm never going to have to answer to God why I couldn't play an accordion. I'm never going to have to answer to God why I couldn't play the guitar. I'm only accountable for that which he so endowed me and gifted me to do. But I'm going to tell you right now when God called me to preach from the top bunk of that old labor camp shack. My mother died lost last year. She never knew that at two and three o'clock in the morning, four feet up the wall, God would visit me in that old labor camp shack and call me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've not been able to spend a lot of time at the racquetball club. I've not been able to buy me a boat and do a lot of water skiing. I've not been able to take a lot of extended vacations and trips. But some way God put a hunger in my heart for his word. I've asked him to open my eyes and let me behold wondrous things out of his law. I've asked him to open my mind and my understanding. Oh God, give me a perception. Oh, let me understand deep what I read. I wouldn't trade you what I feel right now for the best cat 
Cadillac in Topeka, Kansas. Preacher, when you live in vanity, you're going to live shallow. Uh, you'll understand shallow. Uh, you'll pray shallow. Uh, you'll live shallow. And you'll preach shallow. It, brother Munson. Oh, hallelujah. Some preachers are just so downright lazy. We got quiet on that one, didn't we? Don't you freeze out on me right now at the tail end of this. And I've known of a few cases they come in and because the saints didn't start climbing the walls and running the aisles and jumping up and down, they got up there and, and, and beat them over the head because it wasn't shouting. Let me tell you, preacher, when you get in the pulpit, you got the match strike it. Oh, hallelujah. They won't have to listen to you very long until they'll know whether you've got anything or whether you're just trying to whoop up a shout or not. You may fool some of them a few times like that, but it won't be long till they'll understand the score. You ain't got a message. You've not been with God. God's not talked to you. Uh, he's, you've not heard from God. Uh, you don't have any burning thing from God. Uh, you're trying to work up a shout uh, to cover up your own inadequacies and your own insufficiency and your own laziness. Oh, they need to hear from somebody that's got plugged into the throne room of the high glory. You are accountable, preacher. You are accountable, saint, for time, for talent, and tithe. Tithe, time, and talent. Hallelujah. Some preachers, God blessed them got big enough to where they didn't have to work wound up backslid I'd been pastoring almost 10 years in a little old Alkali flat place of New London about a thousand people out there 
I was full-time the last nine years I was there. I prayed for about a year to two years, wanting to quit work and go full-time. I made some commitments to God. I made some vows I've tried to live by. That was 21, or will be 21 years this coming fall. It was in 1962. Hallelujah. I told him I wouldn't while my time away. He'd just give me a church that would take care of me. I wouldn't while my time away. Oh, let's learn to walk with God, saints. I went to my office. We, one particular series of studies that we were studying was 119th Psalm. I've taught it at least twice. It's 22 Sundays. 22 weeks that we spent in the 119th Psalm. It's 22 divisions of eight verses each. And that's where I come to know the word eight come from the Hebrew shamani, which means more than enough. It's an acrostic alphabetical psalm, the A, the B, the C, the D, the E. Blessed are the undefiled that walk in the way of the Lord. We're blessed by the word. And how shall a young man cleanse his way? We're cleansed by the word. We're enlightened by the word. We're made wise by the word. We're established by the word. It focuses in on some kind of a truth, blessedness that comes to us from the word. I never had a lot of helps on it. And I sat down at my desk and I've read it and I was as blank as a board. I wondered what in the world would I do with that next Sunday morning. I'd put my Bible over my chest and I'd walk and pray. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Give me understanding, God. God, you tell me what you're saying here. Let my eyes see. I'd come back and I'd sit down and maybe I was still just as blank as a board. I'd get up and go again. Sometimes it took three or four trips and then it would seem like it would bounce off the pages. My fingers couldn't hit the keys fast enough. When God began to let me see what he was saying. Hallelujah. Praise God. The diligent soul will be made fat. You can guess what'll happen to the other one. Is this all right? You gotta watch, you gotta wait, you gotta work. You gotta be something, you gotta have something, you gotta be doing something. 
You gotta have love in your heart. You gotta have fire in your soul. You gotta have faithfulness in your life or you can't make it. The wicked and slowful. If you wanna know what slowfulness, it's a wicked thing. It's just wicked to be slowful and lazy. Just wicked. There are two kinds of people in God's Bible that God never had one kind thing to say about. One was a fool and the other one was a lazy person. God never had one kind. You, you find me in the place for God had any good thing to say about a fool. And you find me one place where God said, blessed are the lazy folks. And <laughs> no, he said, you sluggard, go to the end. That's two kinds of people that God just really don't have much use for. And there's no excuse for any of us to be foolish or lazy. I won't bring this to a close. I have my time. Just about up. God said he would give us pastors after his heart that would feed us with wisdom and knowledge. Now, if we just want to willfully be ignorant, uh, God will let us just go on being willfully ignorant. If you want to be an ignorant saint or you want to be an ignorant preacher. Oh, I'm a hard preacher, but you might be ignorant too. God laid the rod on me, but don't, don't leave me alone. God reprove me and correct me, but don't leave me alone. 